Welcome to Fridays with Fintelect. My guest speaker today is Dr. David Utska, an expert in crypto economics and distributed ledger technology, currently working full-time at the US Treasury IRS CID Cybercrimes Unit, as well as the University of Advancing Technology as an associate professor. Uh, David was earlier with the US military. David, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So David, at the outset, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your career, and how you landed up doing investigations involving cryptocurrencies? Yeah, so um, my, my career in this space really started in high school. Um, I had an interest in going into financial economics and, uh, you know, gaming was pretty big in, in the 80s and uh, even even before that. So I actually started coding in high school on a, a Tandy with a, an 8086 processor, cassette tape drive. And uh, then Professor Chom started writing these articles about digital currencies. And it's like already being involved in virtual currencies and gaming, um, cryptocurrencies fascinated me. So he he pretty much became my unofficial mentor and reading his papers throughout the 80s uh, to see that then evolve into um, the first cryptocurrency, Digicash, in 1990. Uh, so uh, continued to follow his work and his career, and uh, I still watch him on YouTube today. He's still very much involved in the space and uh, really what I consider the father of cryptocurrencies. So I went on from there to uh, do my undergraduate work. Uh, graduate work and ultimately my doctorate and, and uh, in financial economics and uh, went on to do postdoctoral work at MIT in uh, crypto economics as well as uh, looking at other uh, aspects, uh, use case uh, of distributed ledger technology in smart city uh, design concepts uh, with the use of distributed ledger technology, AI and and IOT uh, components. And yeah, it, it just kind of all blossomed from there. Uh, took a lot of my computer skills and things like that into the military, uh, spent 10 years there. Came out 10 years as a securities analyst, um, working with a, uh, a wonderful company, Vanguard, uh, and then um, came back into the government uh, uh, in 2010. And uh, have worked with them to provide some expertise, um, hopefully, uh, in what they do in this space. But I really enjoy my, my work at the university, teaching grad students uh, and uh, introducing them to distributed ledger technology, helping them code uh, their first blockchains, their DApp smart contracts. And, and um, that's, you know, I, I find that uh, very pleasurable. Fantastic. That's uh, very, very interesting, uh, David. So, uh, you know, David, the whole area of uh, crypto and virtual assets, uh, as you know, is rapidly evolving. What would you say are some of the new developments in the crypto and virtual asset space that are worth watching out for? Yeah, and that's a great question from the standpoint that people have really lagged in the space. Um, you know, myself having been involved in it for so long, I mean, you know, we, we had our first blockchain in 1990. Many people 
haven't been introduced to it in, until about 2017. And so they, they think that this is a, a new nascent te technology, when in reality, it's been around for decades. It just hasn't been noticed. Um, and like with many technologies, until it gets associated with a, a something of value, which happened in, in 2009 with Bitcoin, people started to take notice. But then it, it was still funny money, right? It wasn't real. Uh, they'd forgotten about the DigiCash and, and the crypto, centralized cryptocurrencies of the 90s. Um, and many people don't understand why cryptocurrencies had to move to decentralized platforms. Uh, so it's, yeah, uh, the, the evolution is, is much longer than since 2009. It goes back much further. So uh, around this current day, uh, one of the things that you see is really uh, the, the trend I'm finding is that from a technology perspective, the, the focus isn't on uh, crypto coins anymore. It's on crypto tokens. And a lot of people use that word, you know, coins and tokens interchangeably, but they're two diff very different things in the technology. And so token technology in the last 18 months to, you know, roughly three years has just exploded. So now, you know, NFTs were introduced in 2017. Well, when have people really recognized them? Not until recently with the Beeple piece, $69 million non-fungible token. Um, all Absolutely. of a sudden, non-fungible tokens have been around since 2017. But now it's like you've got something of value associated with it. So people are setting up and taking notice, right? So when you take a look at token technology, uh, it's really moving the DeFi space. You've got massive quantities of value in liquidity pools within the DeFi space, uh, the decentralized finance, which is a whole another fascinating topic to get into and really uh, a whole side ecosystem uh, within the, um, the distributed ledger space uh, and really the smart contract space. Right. So, um, David, uh, you know, we can't have any conversation these days without mentioning the pandemic. Uh, so, you know, do you believe that the pandemic has actually had a significant impact on the crypto landscape? Or do you think it would have continued to develop at the same pace nevertheless? No, I, I definitely think, and in, in most people um, currently in this space uh, and really from a crypto economics perspective, it, it has accelerated the pace of, of recognition of what it can do because of the distancing aspect of uh, that, that's been built into many uh, guidelines by WHO um, and certainly, you know, here within the United States um, through different uh, guidance in, in states, it's, it's been very, it's been varied across the states here in the United States as to the extent, but uh, this distancing, um, when you take a look at distributed ledger technology specifically, I mean, it, it, it's borderless. And so if I want to, in a, um, in a private transaction, uh, pass currency to you, I, I have to basically be in close proximity to you. With distributed ledger technology being borderless, you have now a means of transacting with someone without having to be in contact with them. 
but um, that's kind of on the legitimate side. On the uh, nefarious actor side, it's certainly been used in you know more nefarious ways as well during this pandemic environment. More people have been online. Uh, more people have had time to kind of explore this idea of how uh, oh, I always wanted to know more about cryptocurrencies and things like that. So you've had a lot more people die, uh, jumping into the space. And then of course, all the hype around the valuation and Bitcoin and things like that has further propagated people to get into something they really don't understand. And criminals have taken advantage of that. Right, right. So um, let's speak a bit about the uh, investor side, uh, David. You know, there is uh, intense speculation and volatility in prices associated when it comes to investing in cryptocurrencies. And the usual safeguards that are provided by regulators uh, for investors in stocks or other asset classes are missing. So, you know, like circuit breakers or protection against fraud. So do you find investors aware enough and adequately educated in this area to really understand both the risks and rewards of investing in cryptocurrencies? Yeah, well, I'll start off by saying, uh, no, they're not. But I'll, I'll also add the caveat that when you take a look at the, the developers and founders uh, like Professor Chom um, and you know, I, I could certainly talk about Satoshi Nakamoto having um, interacted with a lot of the emails during that development period of, you know, roughly 2000 to 2008 when um, distributed ledger technology was being uh, put together with uh, cryptocurrency technology. But the, the, the idea was behind creating a, not anonymous, but a private uh, payment rail where I don't have to use my credit card and pass all my PII, I, I, I should be able to maintain that privacy and still give the, have the assurance that number one, my transaction uh, with the person uh, that, that I'm working with has the ability to receive their payment and I have the ability to receive my goods. Um, and it doesn't make any difference who I am. Uh, so, you know, cryptocurrency, uh, distributed ledger technology is blind to who you are. It doesn't care. Um, so, you know, that's the beauty of the system too. But on the investment front, no, people don't understand what they're getting into. Um, it was never designed for investment. So that kind of going full circle. So uh, people out of Wall Street saw an opportunity to basically uh, take cryptocurrencies and make them an alternative currency, uh, an alternative investment. And so now you've introduced intermediaries into a system that was designed to eliminate intermediaries. And who do you trust? Well, distributed ledger technology, technology was designed as a trustless system. And yet now you're interjecting intermediaries like your, your, your traditional system. And you're having to now in a trustless system find points of trust so that I can invest in these things that it's like, what are you really investing in anyway? Right, right. Very, very well said. Uh, very well said, David. So, you know, on the same uh, topic of regulation, you know, uh, do you think, uh, you know, we, we should be looking at a central global regulator in the space soon? Uh, and if so, you know, what type of agency do you think would be best suited? I mean, something like the FATF or the Interpol or UN or 
someone entirely different. Yeah, again, really looking at this from a crypto economics perspective um, and, you know, being a technologist in the distributed ledger technology space, um, I am not an advocate in any way, shape or form of any government coming in and trying to regulate distributed ledger technology, although how can they do that anyway? It's, if it's a truly decentralized system like the internet, how do you control that? Um, so the, the uh, government's only in into a decentralized open source system is through the intermediaries that use it. So how, how does the government regulate the internet? Well, they try to regulate Amazon and Facebook and all the users of the internet, right? And so now you've got these intermediaries uh, interjecting themselves into a, a, a system not designed to have intermediaries. And that's really gonna be the point at which governments are going to be able to um, interject themselves into it. But see, here's the thing. Cryptocurrency um, and crypto assets at large, so not every digital asset out there is number one, a crypto asset, and not every crypto asset is a cryptocurrency. So um, kind of backtracking on my last statement around investment, there are some legitimate crypto asset type investment opportunities out there to stand up projects in digital identity um, and, and uh, alternative uh, decentralized finance uh, that brings banking to people that, that don't have that opportunity. Uh, the use of distributed ledger technology for uh, property rights recording. You, you now have an immutable record that I own this property. It's not subject to uh, maybe some bad government destroying records to say, oh, you don't really own that, right? Um, there is this permanent record. So, uh, you know, with that in mind, the, you know, the, the aspect of regulation around cryptocurrency, it's going to be very limited. Uh, the, the government needs to, governments globally need to understand the difference between uh, cryptocurrencies as a crypto asset and, and focus on the currency components and those intermediaries and regulate them appropriately and, and not try to, it seems like many of their attempts are to try to um, regulate distributed ledger technology and it just isn't gonna happen. It's gonna frustrate everybody. And by over-regulating, what you're going to do is further drive uh, the technology to do what it did from 90 to 2009. It's going to push it towards, uh, a, rather than a, a privacy-centric, hey, protecting my privacy in, in financial transactions to actually going underground and, and causing developers to say, we can make this anonymous. And even in the Bitcoin network, they've recently voted to uh, add privacy enhancing uh, features to the Bitcoin network, which will introduce Taproot and Schnorr signatures, which really, you know, is going to change the landscape uh, around following Bitcoin transactions, which has been very transparent up to this point. So regulators need to really be thoughtful and mindful. So uh, to your point about which government agency regulates it, you know, um, wow. Again, it depends on 
are you talking about the currency side? Are you talking about the, the asset side around security? Because again, in token technology, uh, a currency can't really be a security. A token can. So coins and, and, and tokens, again here, when you start looking at the underlying technology, I can code a token to be a, a currency, a security, and a utility all at the same time, or uniquely to be one of those categories or even other things. Coins are only designed for one thing, peer-to-peer -peer payment. That's it. To the extent that it's becoming an alternative investment vehicle, it's kind of like the US dollar trading on the Forex. You're trading and leveraging it against the volatility against other foreign currencies, right? And that's almost what they're trying to do on the coin side. So uh, yeah, it, it gets crazy when you start talking about regulations. Uh, regulators right. need to better understand the technology. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, you know, David, with all this happening and, you know, we also have each government uh, trying to work on some plan uh, to move towards digital currency or, you know, move against it or whatever. Mm -hmm. What can we expect the future of money to look like? I mean, I know it's a highly speculative question and, but, you know, given your background, I think you're probably, you know, uh, well-placed to answer it. Yeah. So again, it's, it's definitely something that, um, you know, my academic work and postdoctoral work in this area, I think one of the, 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 the biggest things I try to teach my grad students is, you know, when we look at money and currency, they're really two different things. Money was defined by economics. Um, money is what people typically think of as uh, a store of value, unit of account, you know, the, those, those features. Um, and those were introduced within a monetary system by economists. Now, currency is actually the application by an, an ecosystem, uh, an economic system, a government. Uh, and, and so when you take a look at a fiat currency, it's called a currency for a reason because currency is different than money. A currency tries to achieve the objectives of what the features of money are defined within economics. So uh, when you look at a store of value, well, you look at a government's currency that fluctuates against other government currencies. They talk about Bitcoin not being a good store of value because of its volatility. Well, most people fail to realize that because they buy goods and services in their country, they don't see the volatility around their own currency. They see an up and down value in a global trade environment. They see the up and down value of goods that are uh, th that they buy. But um, if you've ever had to live in a different country and convert your 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 country's currency that you're being paid in while living in another country, you quickly learn that um, your your fiat currency isn't so much different than Bitcoin or Dogecoin or Litecoin. It fluctuates against that foreign currency economy. So uh, the, when, when, when you take a look at central banks and what they're trying to do in governments around um, what many people are demanding with regards to real-time settlement, right? They, they don't want to wait three days um, or, or 24 hours for a, a bank request to be processed to get to you know, the intended recipient. 
you look at cryptocurrencies, they solve that problem. I can, I can make a cryptocurrency transaction between a peer and myself uh, within seconds, minutes, um, depending on the cryptocurrency that you're using. Bitcoin's one of the slowest, but of course it's using the oldest and clunkiest technology. Uh, blockchain being from 1991, um, that was what was available to the creators of Bitcoin at the time. Uh, you even look at the proof of work consensus protocol, you know, first developed in, in 93 and, and then enhanced in 97, but Bitcoin came out in 2009. So again, you're still talking about a lot of protocols that were developed uh, much before. So governments have to look at this and say, how can I still maintain control? Because governments always want control, right? They, they want control of the currency that they're issuing. And many countries already have a form of wholesale. And what we're talking about here are CBDCs, central bank digital currencies. They're trying to say, how can we compete with the with the open source uh, cryptocurrencies and, and things like that. Uh, many people fail to realize that most uh, architectures of a CBDC at the retail level, so wholesale, you have your central bank interacting with your member banks. And of course, then the consumer deals with the member banks, but consumers don't have access to that digital central bank digital currency that the central bank uses with its member banks. So what most people are clamoring for is not just a CBDC, they want a retail version of the CBDC. And whether that is a direct account with the central bank itself, that's one model, or uh, where the central bank would give authority to its member banks to then issue accounts and have same, you know, a retail access to that electronic money. And those are not cryptocurrencies. That falls into the virtual currency realm because governments are not looking at setting up a blockchain, decentralizing it, having nodes and things like that. Most of the models, and, and this is what China is currently testing, they are using blockchain technology to record transactions of their virtual current virtual digital currency of the yuan so the yuan is not a a cryptocurrency it's actually a virtual currency it's not based in any cryptographic protocols virtual currencies are are perfect for that because they're centralized you can you can produce more of it uh, cryptocurrencies as many people know uh, like with bitcoin um, it goes through a process of being minted uh, through pr a proof of work consensus protocol called mining, right? And so you can't just put it out there whenever you want. It has to go through a process. Um, virtual currencies like in the gaming environment, uh, the loyalty point environment, those are all virtual currencies. They're centralized, no cryptographic protocols. Uh, they've existed in the gaming environment for decades, since the 70s. And so these virtual currencies, a, a government can say one day, hey, we're, we, we've got, and so for instance, in the United States, you know, the E-dollar, you know, we, we have $10 trillion of, of U.S. dollars currently in circulation. If we digitize that, one day it might be $10 trillion. The next day it might say, oh, we're going to expand that to $12 trillion. You know, we need to stimulate the economy. So we're going we're gonna to expand. You can't do that with cryptocurrencies. You, you can't just go out and mint a whole bunch of new cryptocurrencies like that because you destroy the protocol systems uh, within the, 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 uh, the cryptographic protocols to be able to just print money or print currency at will, right? So virtual currencies are much more suited to that. Um, 
it's a challenge for governments because again, they don't understand a lot of the technology and China experimenting with it. Uh, th th there's you know many countries that are currently researching it, looking at it. And some have said, this is way too complex of a problem. We already have a system of electronic transactions um, that is working for us. We're not going down that path. But again, countries are looking at the fact that countries that are developing a centralized digital currency have the ability to bypass the traditional banking system now. And so what does that mean? So you, you've, you've got a number of competing issues that governments have to wrestle with. Right, right, absolutely. Uh, fascinating, David. So David, you mentioned uh, some time back, you know, about non-fungible tokens or NFTs. And it seems uh, to be clear that they are here to stay. Uh, but what can be done early on in the growth uh, of, the, of NFTs to really make the space more transparent and mitigate uh, any likely AML or CFT risks? Yeah, when, when you look at the token environment, um, really NFTs are, are a very small portion of it. So you have your fungible tokens and your non-fungible tokens, i.e. your NFTs. Um, NFTs have a use case, which is really being abused right now, uh, because now they're talking about fractional NFTs, which was actually a, an Ethereum improvement project, an EIP that was raised in 2018 after the first uh, NFTs, the ERC-721s were introduced in 2017. Um, and it's like, developers are like, why create a fractional NFT when you can just do a limited mint of a fungible token like an ERC-20? Right, you, you don't you don't need to fractionalize something that's designed to be a a, a unique asset, um, and, and so you know the, the 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 proposed use case around NFTs and fractionalize them is well, what if I want to uh, you know an art piece? What if I want to go together with a bunch of other people and 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 basically collaborate in 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 buying a an, an art piece? So many times when you buy the NFT. People think that, oh, you're just buying this digital asset. Well, what many times what you're doing is buying the underlying physical asset as well. And so if I want to go together to get an expensive art piece, uh, transacting and, and having created this NFT, why not just do a limited mint of an ERC-20 rather than trying to fractionalize something? So yeah, NFTs are here to stay. You see many celebrities, sports figures, things like that, getting on the bandwagon of NFTs. And, and it is a great way to take something that's unique, it's one of a kind, and just keep it as a what NFTs were designed to do, to be a unique token of that item, and it is the only one that exists. And you own it, there's an immutable ledger uh, piece. One of the problems that we're seeing in NFTs right now are what are called vanishing NFTs. Because NFTs tokens are created through smart contracts, smart contracts are not bound to a distributed ledger. Um, smart contracts, which there's many types of crypto contracts. We've got wormhole contracts, smart contracts, code chain, uh, Ricardian contracts. So when you talk about smart contracts, we're talking about a very specific type. And so like within the Ethereum platform, you have a smart contract layer over the mainnet. The blockchain of the Ethereum platform is there to capture the state uh, variables that exist around creating these tokens and recording transactions on the blockchain for immutability. 
So vanishing NFTs could actually be created on a centralized server, which is what criminals are doing. And they, they again, they're taking advantage of uh, consumers buying these things up, not really knowing what they're getting, selling them. And on a centralized server, I can delete it, poof, it's gone. So I've, I've just spent a lot of money for this NFT that I thought, wow, this is really cool. I own an NFT and then poof, it's gone because it wasn't created on a distributed ledger. It was created in a centralized server. And so now you've got nothing. So, <laughs> uh, you know, the same problem we've got with scammers on the cryptocurrency side, uh, and we've got scammers in fiat currency. We've got scammers everywhere. People need to set up. It doesn't matter the technology or the absence of technology. Scammers are out there. And they're always going to try to take advantage of a, a public that does not inform itself. So a consumer has an onus, a responsibility. Get educated on something that you don't know about. If you don't trust it in a centralized environment, don't do it. Uh, the technology, if you don't understand it, understand it before you get involved in it. So, um, you know, again, the majority of, of token activity out there, especially in the uh, decentralized finance space are actually fungible uh, tokens, not, not non-fungible tokens, but there is a place for non-fungible tokens in that space as well. So uh, I wish we had the time to go in, into the technical aspects of that. It, most people find it fascinating, but I, I think you get the point. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's truly, truly fascinating. And I think uh, great advice uh, coming from you. So, you know, my last question for you, you know, uh, we hear from many compliance professionals from our community that it is very challenging to keep continuously updated the latest happenings in crypto. You know, for example, all that you just said, uh, what would your advice be to the AML CFT compliance community to keep abreast with this evolution? And what would you say are the pitfalls of not staying in touch uh, with this evolving reality? Yeah, I mean, my take on financial institutions and in, in AML is that when you take a look at most financial institutions, they're missing not only the uh, virtual currency, because many gaming systems, once you earn that reward, in the, it, it gets deposited directly into your bank. Um, they, they don't understand that there's actually uh, auction sites that have existed since 1999 that, you know, they think of them as these closed systems uh, <clears throat> within the, the virtual currency uh, environments, uh, which are really, there. there's auction sites all over the place to move your virtual currency, your skins, your weapons, all these other things, uh, and make money doing it. But um, many, many financial institutions create their own AML um, systems, um, software, things like that. And they're just not designed to capture these more advanced technology components like cryptocurrencies and virtual currencies. And, uh, you know, I, I can't speak to the um, motivation or rationale behind why they do that. But they really need to figure out that, uh, you know, banking is, uh, in, in many realms, is still using old coding languages around their systems of Cobalt and Fortran. And those people are retiring and they're trying to find people that can help them maintain their systems. They, they're just antiquated. Um, and, and so them trying to get into this new technology and, you know, even in the United States, you've got the OCC coming out and saying, oh, banks can custody digital assets. And it's like, well, 
number one, you can't custody a digital asset because it can never be separated from the distributed ledger. What they're doing is taking over your private key. Um, can they provide the security around that? And when you look at banks um, and, and just around the whole AML thing, how do you know who actually owns that key? Do you have AML procedures in place to adequately vet Am I holding the key of someone who actually is on the sanctions list um, or that maybe that key controls uh, uh, crypto assets on the distributed ledger from drug trade, human trafficking? Are they prepared to deal with those issues? So really in a nutshell, uh, again, something I could spend an hour talking about. Um, I think you get the point that banks getting into this space and even um, currency flowing through their accounts, they're not doing a good job now of capturing uh, the, the digital currencies that are being turned into fiat currencies flowing through their accounts. And now if they're actually going to bank people and their digital currencies by holding their private keys, wow. I, <laughs> what else can I say? Wow. Um, I don't think they're prepared. Right, right. Great. Uh, David, uh, fascinating speaking with you. And uh, thank you so much for uh, appearing on this episode of Fridays with Fintelect. Uh, I'm definitely going to reach out to you for more information on the space and maybe we'll get you back again for a more detailed session as well later, whenever time permits for you. So thanks, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you again for having me and it was a pleasure.